Hello, hello, this is Abigail popping in to say that back again, back again, now has a Kofi. Um, if you're enjoying the show and would like to support its creation, consider stopping off at ko-fi.com backslash podcast to buy me a coffee. There will also be a link to it in the episode description as well. Not only will you be thanked in the next episode, but if you leave me an arguably PG-13 topic in the comment box, I'll write you an absolutely ridiculous little limerick about it, and I will read it out in the show. I can't promise it will be like top tier poetry, but it'll be silly. <laughs> and if that's not your vibe or you can't donate, oh my god, no problem at all. I just am so happy that you took the time to listen to the show. I hope you have a wonderful day. And on to the episode. Back again, back again, episode 23. Soldier, part two. I don't want to talk for long about the battle. We went to bed and got up and marched towards the rebel camp as the sun woke up. I rode on a white horse. A harbinger from a story and death gripped the reins, never comfortable in this role. My sword hummed at my side. I could feel the magic in the trees all around me. The forests of Rysaea are distinctly magical. Everything is in balance. They all grow and die and feed the things after them, trees giving shelter and birds giving belonging and thousands of tiny ants marching along, drawing patterns too small for us to see and too big to ever truly realize. It's peace and calm and it's like finding loose change and rattling in your car, finally stopping. It's the absolute relief that silence brings. It didn't calm me as much as it usually did. I was too jumpy to find much solace in anything, no matter how it reached for me. The rebels were packing when we reached them. All of them were armed. They'd learned we were coming, it seemed, and they'd wanted to outrun us. Not to stay and fight. We stayed and fought. I didn't disappear anyone, but I... killed more than one person because... because they were trying to kill me because I... feared they would because getting stabbed hurt and I didn't want it to happen again. Because, because none of them were very well trained, these people, and they were easy to make fall. I did what Cassian said to, among all of it. I used my magic and made some sort of display, but more than anything, my sword glowed, or, or maybe glowered is the right word, and I watched as their faces drained of color before they were cut open. The rebels did not run ahead and run away. We killed them and burned their bodies, and three ran off into the woods and let them go, Cassian said, so everyone knows who we have on our side. I did get hurt. Cut across my leg real deep. 
I... I think he was trying to get my horse. Victory is a lot less exciting when you see how it's done. We marched through the town we sheltered outside of the night before, and the silence within was so absolute you could almost hear the thrum of the trees. Solemn. Not unhappy faces. Because this village had been dangerously close to sheltering rebels, they had to have known. But they, they weren't foolish, they just... lacked... everything. Allegiance, or anguish, or animosity, they mostly lacked anger. An absence so profound, it had to be deliberate. And, and one girl didn't hide it from her face in time. The hatred, and her sister stepped in front of her as I passed by. They knew what we had done. But they'd just seen what happens to those who don't bow. And yet, they all still bowed. Bowed for the prince. Bowed for the Vatikina Elihida. Because we were their sovereigns. <laughs> because... We were an army marching through their town, and the sounds of slaughter carry on the wind. Several of them made the sign the woman did at the house where I first got taken to the castle, shoulder, shoulder, out press, and in this I could see their hatred, their hurt, their... their... hope. Hatred because of who I fought with. Hurt who I rode with. Hope that it would change and there will come a soldier who will tear your city down. They looked to me to fix something that I was only starting to comprehend. And I made a promise deep inside my head. I will, I said. Will try to fix these things. In the village center, Cassian and I dismounted. The village had an old woman faded by the years, crowned us in golden laurels and flowers and shades of sunrise and gloaming. She was as expressionless as the rest of them as she placed the wreath upon my head. But her eyes flashed for just a moment as she tilted my chin up to meet hers. And there it was, the force of will. The need to do right by these people for them to have the chance to choose their own destinies. I felt the magic spark into her palm. I watched her eyes glow for just a second, some deep magic reawakened before I got back on my horse and nodded. All I could do at the moment. But... I brought it up three times to Cassian on the ride back because I still believed in his good. Cassian, later. Cassian, it's important. Later. Cassian, when we're alone. 
And when we were alone, when we can't be overheard. Which I knew wouldn't be until we got back to the palace, and that even then privacy would be a foregone thing. And I feared I would lose my resolve in the face of the kings and their thrones and the weight of expectation of being wanted. But that was why I was there, yes? To change things? I thought. To make things right. We marched through the night, and as we arrived back in the arenas, the gates swung open and the soldiers flooded inside to rest, to mourn for those lost, eight lost, another four wounded so horribly they were left behind the village to heal, three stayed to watch over them, all wildly aware of the animosity around them and the target they now were without the backings of an army. Cassian hesitated outside the gateway, horse pulled to the side. I knew neither of us looked anything better than Haggard at the moment, twenty-four hours out of sleep, but he hadn't become the princeling quite yet. His demeanor still changed. I stopped beside him, fidgeting with the reins. Are, are you okay? He grimaced. There's... Still, one other thing I have to do. Elias, come with me? Of course, I said on instinct and followed him out. Down the roads, into the villages that surrounded the castle. What are we doing? I asked, and only then did I notice the bundle strung across his back. Eight swords. Eight swords for the eight dead. Oh, I realized. Didn't ask him to explain as we dismounted in front of a small house. Flowers in the windows and laundry lines tied between it and the shed as he knocked on the door. As I watched a mother's face break with a sort of anguish I could never truly describe. Cassian hugged her as she clutched at him, and even with my shitty ears, with my shitty rise, and I could hear the why, why, why. A younger sister, ball of six, seemed to realize what was happening. Cassian murmured his condolences and promised something I didn't have the words for. She sobbed, and as they looked to me, searching for something, I, I pieced together a sentence with the nothing that I had. Sentinok Guerra Irms Seans Fred I feel sorry. She is brave. Is instead of was. I didn't yet know the past tense. It wasn't something that had been taught to me yet among keywords and formal greetings and verbs of the now. I am blessed. They are coming. He is the king. The way the mother looked at me, as that is instead of was at that small bit of hope, and the way the little sister, 
No more than six. How her head turned. And how her eyes went wide. Because she hadn't quite understood death. And this was hope. That marked the precise moment I realized my mistake. I knew the word for magic when it came out of the girl's mouth. And I knew the word for dead when it came out of Cassian's. Cassian gave the mother the soldier's locket and the sister the girl's sword and taught me the word for was the second we left the house. Seance to Seance. Irms Seance. Fret. Back at the palace, seven hours later, riding through and seeing celebration with Ilms, Seans, Sians, Fret running through my mind and an already long healed scar on my leg. I don't remember getting off my horse or walking up to my room, but I do remember Rhea crushing me into a hug as I slowly explained everything to her. She explained the gesture to me, finally. Shoulder, shoulder, out, cross. <laughs> All the things it means. The long history, not the abbreviated version Cassian had told me that first day after court. Then she promised to make me a list of past tense verbs. And when I told her of Cassian's later, 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 and the way the village looked at me to save them all, from what? From what? From... The people I rode with, I started to realize she promised to tell me the truth. To tell me the everything I wasn't supposed to know. It starts with the prophecy, she said, and ends with the death. But there's a lot in between, and there's a lot that I don't know. Tell me anyways, I said. Tell me everything you know. I will, she promised. Tomorrow night. There were bars in my windows now, still, but like Cassian had said, find somewhere where no one's listening. She promised to find a place too. But there's one more thing I should explain before I go because here everything gets set into motion here picture the scene it's dinner you sit with two kings and a prince you're starting to suspect they're the tyrants and not the saviors you're starting to doubt a lot of things and have a promise to keep with people you never spoke words to and you have a promise to keep to a girl who's finding you a place safe enough to tell you the secrets of the world. You're not thinking about dinner or the prince or the king because of the promises you made. This is when the queen says, I've been thinking about matrimony. Oh, you say, casually, suddenly no longer so preoccupied. 
The king has left since you last looked up, off to indulge in the fruit or flesh or just to take a really, really long nap. You suddenly feel awfully cornered, even though you hadn't spoken much to the king since the day you pulled the sword from the tree, but his impartialism made him seem like a friendly party at this table. You're all ignored, just generally. Cassius, she responds, in the same sort of tone you just pulled your owl from. That is, from your ass. Cassian is red. You see when you sneak a headlong glance at him, but not red enough that this is news to him. Oh, you say again, because now there is no doubt where this is going. Do you know how to politely refuse a power grab in the form of a marriage proposal given not by the bridegroom, but by his mother? You get up from the table and walk out. Just set your napkin in its place and go back up to your room. And then you ignore Cassian when he pounds on the door of your room and asks to explain. And you focus on the door handle as you push on it with your magic and say the nice little words so it glows with heat. So then when he tries to grab at it to come inside anyways, he curses and has to ask instead of force. You sit in your room and you try not to think. And the next day, when the queen announces the engagement before the court, as you stand at her shoulder and Cassian comes around to your other, you pretend like you'd known it all along. Like there was consent given. Because these people don't know the English words for this isn't the truth. And you don't know how to say the Marisean, either. So, you wait for Rhea to tell you everything she knows, and you start planning how to get away. This is where the story begins. It starts with a prophecy and a girl with lion hair almost being run over by a cart. But the day the promises were made and false ones were created, and a girl whispered to the Alahida, this is all that I know, was when it truly began. You'll hear everything soon. The story, the prophecy, the engagement, and the words exchanged, the lot of it. I, I need to get my thoughts in order before then. Back Again, Back Again is written and produced by me, Abigail Eliza. If you'd like to hear more about the show, visit us on Twitter, Instagram, or Tumblr at Back Again Podcast, or on TikTok at Abigail Eliza Writes. Our outro music is Nightingales by Pierce Murphy from the album To Japan, and is licensed under an attribution license. The song was retrieved from freemusicarchive.org. Visit the description of this episode for full copyright information and a link to the page. Sound effect attribution, similarly, can be found in the episode description. If you've made it this far, thanks for sticking around. You are important in this world and have a role no one else can fill. You are loved. I hope you have a wonderful day.